Acts chapter 4, part of an amazing story that starts in chapter 3. A lame man had been gloriously healed at one of the gates to the temple. He had been there for years, which means Jesus had walked by him. Now, whoever called out to him, he never turned away. But those he healed that didn't call out to him, he healed because their father told him to go heal him. He said, I don't do anything that the father doesn't tell me to do. I don't say anything that the father doesn't tell me to say. And so in this case, here's a layman who's alive during the ministry of Jesus, during the lifetime of Jesus, still lame. He didn't cry out, he didn't call, and the father didn't say, hey, go get that guy. Earlier in the book of John, Jesus goes to a pool, the pool of Bethesda, surrounded by lame people, and healed one of them, because the father sent him to that one. So, in the context of that, I believe we are encouraged to cry out to the Lord when we need healing. The fact that we're alive today is a sign of God's ongoing blessing in our lives on this side of eternity, on this side of the time curtain. You know, East Texas, they live over there by the pine curtain. (laughs) East Europe used to be the other side of the iron curtain. We live on this side of the time curtain. In the now, but pressing toward the not yet. And so in our story on this side of the time curtain, the uh, priests were very upset because this is their worst nightmare. Here's proof that Jesus is still alive. Look at verse 13. They arrested them, brought them in. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Even they knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. The tomb was empty. Nobody produced the body. They knew the guards that lied about being asleep were paid off to say that. And here's these guys so powerfully convinced in the resurrection, they just knew. They had been with Jesus. I guess they were uneducated or uncouth guys, and uh, they despotted them lying if they were lying. And seeing the man, verse 14, seeing the man who'd been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. Everybody had seen this guy begging. They all knew who he was. I lost my place. (laughs) It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. Verse 17. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Yeah, that'll do it. (laughs) Don't do it again, boys. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So the Lord had told them, As Jesus trained them, do what the Father says and say what he says. The Lord had told them to go raise that man up. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And when God tells you to do it, it works. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. Because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. 
For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So since he was a little child, he was put, put there to beg. And being let go, Peter and John, they went to their own companions, their compadres, and reported all that the chief priest and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David, and they quote one of the Psalms, have said, why did the nations rage, the heathen rage, and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, his anointed one. For truly against your servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So it was in the plan of God. God allowed it. God purposed it. God planned it. Can we say God is in control? Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So, Lord, give us boldness to speak your word. How, how do you do that boldness? By stretching out your hand to confirm the truth of the resurrection by healing people. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Two chapters earlier, the church was born. 3,000 people who were from out of town were saved, were baptized. And here they had grown to 5,000 people, the majority of whom were from out of town. They didn't want to go back home. There was no church back home. They, they wanted to stay, and so they would go back home and sell stuff so they could go back to Jerusalem and live there. And they lived communally for eight years. And then persecution arose, and they were scattered. And they went back to their old homes and took the gospel with them, having been discipled for eight years. Isn't that awesome? Anytime there's been an attempt that I know of in history to live communally, it doesn't last. God can use it for a while, but when they start buying guns and stuff, uh, things are heading south. Thinking of a place in Arizona called Miracle Valley. When somebody got shot, it was time to move on. Uh, I was a member of a church in Houston that had a trailer park, 30 trailer houses. Yvette and I lived in one of them. It was not a good thing. When one of the member's dogs got in another member's trash repeatedly, so the person took that dog across town and threw him in a dumpster. Now, Houston's a big town. Threw him in a dumpster and then went back and told that member what he had done to his dog. It was just not good. That trailer park is gone. God's blessing was not on it. The majority of the time, the people never paid their rent. They didn't mow their grass. Guess who got to mow it? So I know we have extra acreage, acreage here. Just don't come to me and talk about a trailer park. <laughs> can do other things anyway. Notice the last sentence there. Great grace was upon them all. Verse 33, great grace was upon them all. And you continue reading in the book and you'll see 
persecution does start to arise, the, the rulers do start backing up their threats with beatings. Uh, they take one of the twelve, James, the brother of John, and behead him. And they arrest Peter, planning on doing the same thing. And an angel in the middle of the night came and delivered Peter. Now, how do the church leaders explain that to James and John's mama? <laughs> you know, she did want her sons on the right and the left side of Jesus in his kingdom, didn't she? So in a way, if you go with my crazy mind, she got what she asked for. Here's how. If you line up the 11 in time, just take a timeline, line up the 11 and put them on the line in terms of their death. John was the last one of them to die. James was the first. So one's on the right and on the left. All right, sorry. Craziness. I want to speak to you today on the subject, great grace. Great grace on demand. When we think of grace, we think of salvation, and it certainly speaks of that. But it's an empowerment from God, not only to be saved, but to have faith to be saved. And we all love this song, Amazing Grace, but most people do not know it actually has 13 verses, the original poem. Your hymnal may have four verses. The hymnal I grew up with had six. We were whole hymnal Pentecostals. None of this verse one and three business. We sang the whole hymn. That's where these moderns got in and messed things up. <laughs> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object met my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to change me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience owned and felt the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had shed and helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but all my tears were vain. Where could my trembling soul be hid? For I, the Lord, had slain. A second look he gave which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou mayest live. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. It's beyond just salvation from sin, but it's grace that leads us on. The Lord has promised good to me, his word my hope secures. His will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below shall be forever mine. When we've been there, 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And then Chris Tomlin wrote a, wrote a chorus. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me in light of love. His mercy reigns. Amen. Seven expressions of this amazing blessing. Sometimes for the sake of remembering things, we use visuals to help it drive home. And living in the day of smartphones and smart TVs, who has some apps on your phone? 
Yeah, if you don't know how to download them, ask your three-year-old grandchild. They'll show you how to do it. (laughs) So if Great Grace were an app, it would open doors for other apps. We'll see that he gives grace for grace. Great grace. There's pouring grace. There's filling grace. There's receiving grace. There's saving grace and justifying grace. Oh, yes. There's transforming grace. And there's humbling grace. It's God's unmerited favor that empowers us to do what we cannot do on our own. Who can save themselves? No one can. But God, by His grace, saves us. He saves us because of grace. When we say, I'm saved by grace, we know we mean we're saved by Jesus, right? He gave His life for us. But it's His grace that causes Him to extend it to us. And He gives us grace to receive that grace, even though we're not worthy. Anybody here today named Grace? Gotta, you're afraid to raise your hand. <laughs> no tricks today. It's a wonderful, wonderful name. Great Grace. We saw in our text today, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. They needed grace. Living communally is not easy. It's tough. Uh, during the days of Calvary Chapel's beginnings, I read a book about that, they had a hotel where these hippies who got saved would live. The hotel had running water but no electricity. But they were being discipled. And Chuck Smith had a vision that one day these guys would become pastors and now there's hundreds of Calvary Chapels around the world relating to them living communally for that season, X amount of years, however long it was. It took grace for that. As a church, I pray that great grace is upon us, especially in this hour. We do not know what's going on in the world. We think we know. There's theories out there. Things are unstable, and part of that's the nature of democracy. You know, things can change with each election and all that stuff. But generally, governments do not give up power when they take power. So in spite of these things, as real as they are or unreal as they are, we cannot succumb to fear. We need God's grace in our lives to empower us. Can we say great grace grace. to be upon us all, Lord? We ask for great grace to be upon us all. Now, what is this pouring grace? Grace is poured out. Zechariah 12.10, God promises, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him. Jesus was filled with grace. He is of the house of David. So that first part of the promise I'll pour on the house of David is Jesus And on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that's the church that was born in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and beyond. And when Peter preached his message, other nations got involved. They all became convicted by looking at what had been done to the Son of God who had been pierced. And they repented. Peter's first word when they asked, what shall we do? He said, repent. They will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him. Godly sorrow is what leads us to repentance. How many is glad that God pours out his grace? There's filling grace. He can pour out such grace to a point that you're filled with it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's That's the house of David. That's Jesus, the Word. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the house of David had the Spirit of grace poured out upon Him, Jesus. And He was full of grace and truth. That's how He could be so gracious 
while his blood is pouring out on the cross, his grace is not pouring out to the point that he becomes emptied of it, but is pouring out in grace and supplication. Father, forgive them. When you supplicate, you're praying for somebody, you're praying earnestly. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. How could he do that? He had been filled with the spirit of grace and supplication. There's receiving grace. This is our end. We receive from the house of David. We receive from the Lord. And of his fullness, we have all received. And grace for grace. You're not worthy of grace. That's right. That's why he gives me grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Don't reject his grace. His grace is extended to all the world. Don't reject it. When you hear of it, it sounds too good to be true. If you realize you're, unless you're a narcissist, if you realize you're wicked and depraved and totally in need of salvation, and here's this free offer. You mean I just believe? I don't have to work? I don't have to obey something? No, you just believe. And the believing brings salvation, and the salvation generates in your heart the grace and desire, empowerment to do what God asks you to do. And one of the first things a believer wants to do is, I think I want to get baptized. I see, I've been reading about Jesus and saw where baptism was a thing he told his followers to do. That was the command. Go baptize. I want to do it. You never have to argue people into a baptistry. If you're doing that, guess what? You run the risk of baptizing sinners. And they get out unsaved and wet. <laughs> Hopefully not deceived. Saving grace. This is what we think of the most when we see the word grace. In Acts 15, the early church leaders met to discuss what do we do with these Gentiles who are receiving the Holy Spirit and, and they're getting baptized. What do we do with them? And Peter said, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So here's these Jews. Culturally, they attempt to live by the law of Moses. And yet they recognize there's no salvation in the law of Moses. It comes through grace in Jesus. If we're saved by the grace of Jesus, then so can anybody else be. In Ephesians 2, the famous passage, one of my favorite verses, for by grace you have been saved. Somebody said have been. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So what is the gift of God? Salvation, yes. The faith that brings you the place of being saved, believing, yes. Or the grace that gives you the ability to believe, yes. the gift of God. Maybe all you deserve for Christmas is coal in your stocking. But God gives grace to the humble. I'm getting ahead of myself. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Titus 2.11. And then there's justifying grace. Having been saved, now we stand justified. We were in sin, now we're not. Being justified freely, Romans 3.24. We say free. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is justification? It's being made right. Somebody said, it's just as if I never sinned. I don't like to say that because I did sin. 
but he puts me in a position of being made right. Positionally, spiritually. And my natural life is on the way through sanctification of becoming parallel or the synonymous with this justification we've been given by grace. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is our righteousness. This is right standing with God. This is grace. How do we access this grace? By faith. How do we get this kind of faith? By grace. <laughs> he is the Savior, literally. I cannot get saved without Him saving me. And He can't save me unless He helps me. My favorite today is transforming grace my favorite grace app. For if by one man's offense many died, can we say Adam? Adam's offense brought death on the human race. Much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, he's the last Adam, abounded to many. Some people call him the second Adam, second Adam but I prefer to call him the last Adam. The second Adam, you know, you might think there's a third. There's no more Adams. Jesus is the last one. He was the second one, but he's the last one. And through his obedience, his grace, his gift, many are blessed. Many die. That was Adam's gift to us through sin, but through grace, the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, back to Adam again, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So through one man's offense comes dying, through Christ's obedience, through Christ's grace comes reigning. There's death, the ending of physical life, and there's reigning in physical life and beyond through the grace of Christ. Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Can we say transformed? This is different. Uh, we lose the fear of death because of this. When we die, it's just a physical thing that happens in our body. We, we put off our earth suit. It's bye-bye body, hello Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Debbie Tran is present with our Lord and Savior right now. Now, is she walking around with him in, in fields of daisies, or is she asleep in him? Y'all can find it out. <laughs> on this side of the time curtain, she's asleep. But on that side, no longer captive, no longer in linear existence, Jesus can do what he wants. 2 Corinthians 8, transforming grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So there's being rich and there's being poor. I like being rich better. Compared to the third world, we are all rich. But spiritually, we are vagabonds. And Christ came and became one of us. He became our substitute. He came down so that we could come up. He became naked so that we could be clothed. He became dead so that we could become alive. He became sin so that we could become righteous. He, could, he became offended, yet not staying offended. 
He allowed persecution to come upon himself so that we not have to get offended. He did this. And we have the grace that he gives if we pursue him for it. You can go through anything. You can forgive anything. It doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean there's not a place for calling the law. But the point is, you and I no longer have to be bound by the chains of our past, our own sins, or the sins of others. We've been transformed. Chapter 9, 2 Corinthians, verse 8. God is able to make all grace, can we say all grace, abound toward you. All of it can abound toward us. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Now often this is applied to money, but let's think beyond money. What does it take to do something good? It takes effort. It can take courage. Some things God calls us to do, it's scary. What? Go plant a church in Alaska? Are you kidding me? He's able to make all grace abound toward you so that you having all sufficiency in everything may have an abundance of grace for every good work. So you can do that thing you wouldn't do on your own. This is a key to our obedience. Because as God always calls us to things that we can do on our own, then why do we need Him? He calls us to live on the edge many times, to do the impossible. He called me once to leave my job and go work for half what I was making. I was in college and had a baby. And God led us to do it. My wife was in agreement. Every time she tried to work, it, it didn't work. Wound up going to pay for childcare. It's just like, babe, just stay home. We'll trust the Lord. And just weird things that happened. People would show up at our doorstep with groceries, or the pastor would give me a day off, and a guy would fly me in his airplane up to Shreveport to help him drive used cars back to Houston that he had bought. And the Lord just provided here and there. How could I do that? I couldn't do it. It's not in me. I'm a scaredy cat. It took me forever to learn to walk, I was told. Why? I hate pain. I hate pain. But God gives grace. Abounding grace. Ephesians 1 verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, tell your neighbor you've been predestined according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. His grace makes us accepted. The Greek word for grace is charis, means favor, unmerited favor, but accepted is highly graced. It's caritao, by which he made us accepted or made us highly favored. It's only in the New Testament twice. Here, from the pen of Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes, Caritao. And in Luke, by the lips of Gabriel, to the virgin named Mary. Merry Christmas, y'all. He tells her to rejoice, highly favored one. She had been favored by God, highly, to have the highest honor bestowed upon a woman, as a mother. To conceive as a virgin that which was conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit. That's pretty special, right? And here you and I are. We've been made accepted. We've been highly favored by grace. Some people do not obey God because it's impossible. They don't realize God can give them grace to do the impossible. But some people... Don't obey God because they do not believe they are qualified. You're down on yourself. The Lord made you accepted. Don't deny His grace. Accept His grace. There's greatness in you. Jesus said, of those born of woman, there's no man that's ever lived greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was greater than Moses, greater than Abraham, 
greater than Isaac, greater than Jacob, greater than Joseph and Judah, Elijah, Elisha, David, all the Old Testament heroes. John the Baptist was greater. He said that. Of those born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. Why? Grace. He was given the hard task of wrapping up the Old Testament. Making a way for the Messiah who's bringing the New Testament, the New Covenant. And then Jesus went on to say, but he who is least, or she who is least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Tell yourself silently, I am greater than John the Baptist. I am not a nitwit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do what he's called me to do. I know many times athletes quote that verse, that's great, but unless they're doing what God has called them to do, that's not in the list of all things. I can do all things, all things that Christ has called me to do. Read the context. There's some tough things Paul had to go through. He was able to do it through Christ who strengthened him, Christ who gave him grace. In him, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, that's awesome. According to the pedigree that we have, or the papers I carry, or the proof of employment I have, or my resume. No, according to the riches of his grace, by which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure, his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Look at the 11, look at the 12 disciples. Only one was really qualified for leadership, and his name was Judas. Peter was too impulsive. Matthew had been a tax collector. And these guys, most of them were in their early 20s. They're too young. And yet God called them. God called them to turn that part of the world upside down. He did it according to the riches of his grace. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. Lest I should be exalted, this is humbling grace. Here's the rest of the story of grace. He can give you grace to go through anything. Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. What do you think that thorn was? It doesn't matter. He tells you what you need to know. Lest I should be exalted above measure. Would it be good for Paul to become prideful? Did he have an abundance of revelations? He wrote close to half the New Testament. He had a lot of understanding. Before he was a believer, he had a lot of understanding. And becoming a believer, he had a lot of understanding. I mean, it started off as a Christian with hearing the audible voice of the Lord. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So whatever the thorn was, it is what it was. And then Satan comes along to make sure you stay humble. Who knows the devil's working for the Lord? He's got to feel used. Anytime something goes wrong, it doesn't mean it's the devil. doesn't mean it's a demon. doesn't mean it's an evil spirit. But the lying thoughts that come into your mind, there it is. There they are. You idiot. How could you be so blind? What a moron. I'll never be a success. I'll never do anything worth anything worthwhile. Where do those thoughts come from? From the problem, no. From the spirits that are trying to take advantage of the situation. So, 
Let's not miss the point. Here's the point. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. It was keeping him humble. He was crying out to the Lord. Who knows? Problems can keep us praying. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It was keeping Paul in a position of depending on the Lord for his strength. I know I would love to have a problem-free life. Wouldn't it be awesome? If I just had more money. Well, if you just get more money, you get more money problems. Whatever you have, you have to be a steward over. I'll take care of it. If I just had more dishes, so you get more dishes and your cupboards fall off the wall. <laughs> just had bigger cupboards, you know. Therefore, he continues... Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How is that possible? When I'm weak, I'm dependent on the grace of God. I don't have all the answers, but he does. And he's given me grace to trust him. Some of you guys are going through some stuff. And I see God's grace at work. And, and I hope you see that and you can rest in that. The story's not over. It feels like it's the rest of your life. It's not. It's this chapter. If everything in your life was perfect and someone wrote your biography, no one would want to read it. It'd be boring. <laughs> Isn't that the formula for a good movie? Conflict and resolution. Well, what enables us to go through these trials, these dramas? The grace of God. James 4 says something that Psalms also says. He gives more grace, therefore God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, that's great, but I brought this mess into my life. I paid for something I couldn't afford. Or, or I blew all my money on something I shouldn't have bought, and now I'm short. When I'm weak, I'm strong. Run to the Lord. He gives you grace. You'll learn to live from the top of the barrel and not the bottom. You shouldn't have to scrape to pay for life's necessities. The Lord promised to give us an abundance for every good work. Let it accumulate. Don't blow every dime comes your way. Sometimes people eating up with fear will blow every dime that comes their way because they're afraid somebody's going to stick them up and spend their money when they could have spent it. Anyway, that's for somebody. Humbling grace. We're talking about great grace on demand. Before the internet stage, we lived in a very linear world. If you wanted to watch a program, you had to wait till the time the program came on, right? I grew up without a TV, but I remember the community I was living in was waiting for ABC to come to town. And when it did, they were excited because ABC was going to be in color. But then through technology, we got away from menu-driven computers to Windows computers, and that's kind of the basis for apps, multiple programs. And then the concept of on-demand TV came into reality. Want to watch Gunsmoke? I don't have to wait till Saturday for it to come on, but I can watch it right now anytime I want. Now, that seems somewhat self-serving, right? It's a consumer, right? We never want to approach a God's grace with a lack of appreciation as though God's our servant. I demand grace right now. That's not the attitude. It's just, it's the word used in our culture. You need something that's available on demand. That seems to be what this verse says. Hebrews 4, as I conclude. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that's Jesus. He was our Savior, died on the cross for us, rose from the dead for us, done all these things for us. Now he's our high priest. 
He's passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So he knows what it's like. Not because he's omniscient, God, and all-knowing, but because he became a human, and now not just by omniscience, but by experience. He knows what it's like to be unappreciated. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be tempted to get offended. He knows what it's like to be tortured. So since we have that, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of, let's say it, grace, that we may obtain mercy and find to help in time of need. Lord, I pray for every person here, every woman, every man, every age group, single, married, and otherwise. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that the understanding of this grace that you give us is to receive entrance into the throne room for help in our time of need. Lord, we pray for boldness to come upon your people, to take seriously the opportunity we have in prayer to run to you because you're our high priest. You're one of us and you're our God for help. And to receive that help by faith and to move forward. Thank you, Lord, that when we're humbled, we're not to wallow, but we're to run to the throne of grace. Thank you, Lord, for access that you give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Breathtaking wonder in every color you're showing off to me. You come like thunder, then a gentle whisper, you're found in everything. To hear your voice, to call you friend, to know your thoughts, how rare, how beautiful. You're with me here, I feel you breathing, you're closer than I thought was possible. So I'll rest right here with you. So I'll rest right here with you.
spirit of excellence there's nothing wrong with that but there's a spirit of perfectionism that robs us of grace for ourselves and for others I just lay that right there and encourage you not to miss this moment if you need to come boldly to the throne of grace you can do it right there in your chair, but an ideal time just to come up here as the musicians continue playing as long as you need them to. I'm going to close this service, but if you need to come to the throne of grace and have one-on-one -on -one with God, don't miss this opportunity. Can we do that? Lord, I thank you that you give us grace for everything. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you give us grace when we don't even know it. Lord, open our eyes to see how you're enabling us to do the impossible. Thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. Lord, bless and keep them. Cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, as we pronounce this, it's already done. We just celebrate it. Lift up your countenance upon them and give them your peace. In Jesus' name. May we rest in you. Stop striving for approval and coulda, shoulda, wouldas. And have grace to do what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get them, tigers. Amen. Yeah.